What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is the 19th episode of Dart Against Humanity. So, of course, I'm here in my typical space in my living room. It's hot as hell. Uh, Got the AC blaring, windows open. I know both don't work at the same time, but trust me on this case, the windows being closed would be more of a problem. It's hot as shit. It's the end of summer, coming towards the fall. Leo season's over, Virgo season started. There's a lot of shit going on. But basically, this episode is more about um, something that I haven't really talked about, I don't think, in detail or ever on this podcast and the life of it. It started in April, on April 22nd. This is the second season. I don't know if I've ever addressed this. I doubt I have. I don't really even write about it. So, uh, yesterday was the two-year anniversary of my mom passing. Now, that changed a whole lot for me because it immediately put me in a different space in my life. Like, immediately. I mean, there are a bunch of people out there that understand what I'm talking about. They're part of the Dead Parents Club. But my specific situation is different. First off, None of my grandparents are alive. Uh, My grandparents on my mother's side passed away long ago. I'm talking late 70s, early 80s, long ago. Uh, The last grandparent on my father's side passed away within the last 10 to 15 years. My father passed away in January 1998. So that left my mom. Again, passed away August 28th, 2016. So when you're somebody like me, what this means is that's it. Not only is there no one on the planet who could tell me what to do or what not to do. But now when it comes to family functions or like family gatherings and stuff like that. I'm the old guy. I'm the elder. You know, the crazy fun uncle, there's there should be tears, right? You should have like the uncles, then like the old gray people, you know, the grandparents that don't understand the music that y'all are doing and and talk about boy they ain't nothing but the hucklebuck, you know, telling old stories at the like at the cookouts and shit like that. And my immediate family There's none of that. There's me, who just turned 43. You know, there's my um, older sister. My older sister is um, eight years older than me. Then my older brother is six years older than me. There's us. We're the old people. That's a mindfuck. So, like, I'll be talking to the kids about stuff and they'll just look at me with this wide-eyed wonder that's supposed to be reserved for somebody who with gray hair. The stories I'm telling are supposed to be told by somebody much older or older. I can't say much older because at 43, I'm past what the, the midlife stage, which is funny because for somebody with my background, I probably got like 15, 20 years left. Not 
another 40. I don't have the type of privilege to have another 40 years of my life. I might be out of here at 60 something for whatever reason. And this isn't something that I say that like bothers me in any way, shape or form. It's just fact to me. Like when you're somebody like time is weird for me because, again, I don't really sleep like that. So stuff bleeds into each other, but I can keep track of what day is what. So I have all these things that like I want to do and all these things that I'm doing, but I'm constantly working. And I feel like that's probably going to be the thing, the reason why I don't make it to like 75, 80. But again, if I don't have a certain quality of life by 75, 80, I don't want to be 75, 80. I don't know how I watched my mom deteriorate at the end of her life between the age of like 68 to 73. You know, I saw how that end was. I don't want that for me. If I could go out something like what I am right now at 65, I'll sign me up for that shit. I don't want to I don't want to um end my life or have my life end in a manner where it's like you don't even want people who remember you the way you were to come see you because you don't want them to remember you like that. But anyway, so two things that changed like my life and like the way I live it and everything else are, of course, my mom passing two years ago. Uh, she, I haven't mentioned what it was. So she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. The cancer spread uh, to like her lungs and kidneys and and like internally to the point where I brought her to we brought her to the hospital for a checkup. She wasn't doing well in fe- early February, and they pretty much told us that she had weeks to months to live. So tried to take care of her at home. That lasted for about two months. Seems like it was way longer. It was hell. It was agonizing. It was something I wasn't. My family was not prepared for. Who could be prepared for that? We didn't know what. We didn't know the severity, even though we were told like what her cancers were. We weren't told that we didn't realize the severity and how bad it was going to be. And it's like we were not equipped to take care of her in the home. It's just no. And plus, we didn't know exactly how long she had. So we thought my mom didn't want to be in the hospital anymore because she was always in the hospital. So if she passes for whatever reason, we prefer it be here. But then she was just like, you don't want me to die in your house, do you? Like, you don't want me to die in your apartment, do you? And like, I think that's one of the last things she said that was like 100% clear because again she was in so much pain that a lot of times she was under like medication and stuff like that well she wasn't always lucid it's fucked up but ultimately she did die in like a hospice palliative care place we had to search for we had to take her out of previous ones because they were fucking terrible and when you see the shit that these that our elders have to go through late in their life when they're being taken care of the fucking care is horrible um it's subpar in a lot of cases you have to find the right place you have to do a lot of re- again we don't there's so many things in stages of our lives that we don't get we have to do after the fact research and we're thrown into it 
that's what life is, I've discovered. Life is doing something, going into it, jumping into a situation you didn't expect, and then having to fucking catch up and do after the fact research. But um, when she finally did pass, it was like I had to think in a completely new way and I had to approach life in a completely new way because life is different now. So there's a lot of shit that I used to do three to five years ago, I don't do anymore. If you run into me and you haven't seen me in a while, I don't look the same. I lost a significant amount of weight, okay? And a lot of it had to do with the fact that it wasn't just uh, my mom getting diagnosed with cancer or whatever have you. A lot of it had to do with the fact that a lot of my peers were dying. Like a lot of my peer group died that I didn't expect. Um, PH, Pumpkinhead, he passed away. Just going to the hospital to get like a, a something that you would think is um, routine. Uh, Sean Price passed away in his sleep at an age that I was near. It was just, and it's like, I would just get another report about somebody else my age or in my age group passing away or dying. And it just like really hurt because I interacted with these people. I knew these people. I'd met them before and or I've known them for years and they're no longer here for whatever reason. And it just told me that like I need to take care of myself better to be around and not necessarily just like just to be around I guess because again my sister would like for me to be around for my you know my nephew my brother would like me to be around just for the family and my niece and all this other stuff but like I got shit to do you know this shit I will actually want to do and I'd actually like to reach it and I don't want to like stumble at the finish line and then I'm not able to make it because of some health thing that I could have avoided. If it's some shit that's going to happen, that's going to happen that I have no control over, that's different. But if it's something that I could have taken care of myself or not let myself get to a certain stage where I was in danger of, of something, then damn it. I really have to take that into my own hands and do it. But another thing is like the way my life changed too is so if you are lived in a like if you live in a black Latino household, you know that there are certain things, certain traditions as far as like food and things like that are concerned that kind of contribute to our growing health situations and not adjusting that for the times does damage to us going forward. And a lot of the reason that, like, I dropped a lot of weight and stopped doing certain things is because when my mom passed, there were certain things that she did as far as cooking was concerned that I didn't do myself, you know, like, because mom, my mom came from a southern background there was always certain type of food being cooked in a certain manner. There was always like a cake around. There was always this around because growing up in her home in Alabama 
And then when everybody, the great migration happened and all my relatives came from Florida and Alabama and New Orleans and what have you to Boston, they continued these traditions in Boston with their kids. But like, I don't do any of these things myself. It's like I eat differently than how I was kind of raised. I do certain things in moderation. There's a lot of stuff I like I don't do. So when she passed away, a lot of that stuff just stopped. Like that change in my that change alone made it easier for me to transition. And then a lot of it I probably had to attribute to like grief because I didn't cry when she died. And at first I was worried because I was like, how come I didn't cry when mom died? Everybody else did. But then the thing is that I wanted to cry while I was taking care of her at the end because I couldn't do shit. And I was just sitting there watching her um, deteriorate, um, wither away, watching, knowing that there were things she wanted to do she couldn't do. Um, she couldn't articulate things the way she wanted to. She was getting frustrated with the fact that her her body was like just like turning on her and that's a lot to fucking deal with emotionally and I wouldn't wish going through that on my worst enemy and I kind of feel like I'm lucky I'm a writer I'm lucky I'm a creative and stuff like that because that's the only way I was able to make it through all that without like having to seek any fucking uh, outside counseling or something like that I was like, I dealt, I, I, I kind of dealt with it through work, and I'm not the first type of person to run from anything. I usually, growing up in Boston, one of the uh, drawbacks and benefits simultaneously is that you're not allowed to hide from confrontation. You have to face shit head on. When you live in a city the size of Boston, it's this small. You can't say fuck Hector. Without it getting back to Hector immediately. So you might as well just go straight to Hector. Yo, fuck Hector, fuck you and fight him now. Because the amount of time that it's going to take for Hector to find out and chase you down. Yo, I heard you was talking shit. is negligible. Just fucking fight Hector. Whoop Hector's ass. Get it over with. And that's pretty much been my Bostonian mentality my entire life. So I just deal with stuff head on. I might not deal with it publicly. But I deal with it myself. Because again, I don't sleep. So I'm always doing something. I'm always working towards something whether or not you guys see it or see the result yourself like i'll pop up with something hey i got this and this and this and this and he's like oh shit yo good look out yo that's dope dart whatever i've been working on that shit for eight months continuously or a year continuously six months continuously but i never told you all about it because i was just doing it i had my head down doing the work and hopefully that's going to be something that happens in 2019 where a lot of y'all going to see just things that i've done it's like yo what the fuck like with the podcast, um, I feel like the thing that made me want to just finally launch into the podcast and do it is because of all the things I was thrown into doing that I didn't expect I'd ever have to do with, you know, having to be the person taking care of my mom when she was passing away. That's not something I ever thought I was going to have to do. It's not something I ever thought I was ever going to have to experience, you know, like, but these are experiences to make you grow and push you into a new space and make you realize that yo shit can be much worse there's a lot of after the fact 
research and work and just like what happened when we were we had to get my mom into you know a palliative care or stuff like that it was like we had to do that work after the fact doing the fucking podcast uh launching it trying to get it to different places trying to realize wait hold on a second there are places that anchor doesn't tell me my podcast is how do i reach out to these people how do i find new places there's no fucking book no one tells you this stuff you know so again like when your life changes you just have to go with it another life changes on a a smaller scale that i had to deal with and i don't think people talk about this on an emotional level or just dealing with i guess popularity or infamy is weird so me I'm a journalist. I've been one for 12, 13 years in this space, continuously. I have my reputation. I've built it doing what I do, writing nonstop, commenting on things, interacting with people. I've had beefs with people. Everybody knows me for some other reason. Now, last summer in August, late August, I think it was the 27th or the 28th, not sure, um, I get... A blue check on Twitter. So now I'm verified. To most of you, yeah, whatever. A lot of you, that's a big deal. Here's the thing. Verification didn't change much in terms of how I interacted with people on my end. Or how what I wrote about on my end. Or the content of my Twitter account on my end. Because again, there's some people out there that are trying to secure a bag and not lose a job. I don't have to worry about that shit. Me just dealing with the situations that I deal that I deal with and writing about the subjects that I write about already ensures that too, not too many corporate entities give a fuck about what I'm doing. There are some people that know who I am and care. Yeah, you're like a voice of a culture and, and you uphold this and blah, blah, blah. But where's the money? You don't have enough of a following to be, you know, to throw money at you. But we respect what you do for the culture. That's just the case. That's just the case. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that are fucking horrible human beings that are fucking abusing women, being fucking misogynistic, uh, being uh, abusive in other manners, being homophobic, you know, colorist, like just problematic in in so many different ways. But they have huge followings, so they're going to get the bag first. Forget about, hey, won't we just fuck with these people that aren't assholes? Won't we fuck with these people that are genuine? No, let's go for these people with the huge followings who might be horrible people or just assholes. And then after the fact, we're going to have to rescind it all because, oh, we picked the wrong person. Won't you just do the basic fucking groundwork and go after the right people to start? But that's too much work, I guess. But... Back to what I'm actually talking about. When I got the blue check, it turns out that I didn't realize that a tweet from somebody, not just me, I already thought that I was a lightning rod. A tweet from somebody with a blue check on it automatically garners way more attention from trolls and shit posters. And assholes 
and contentious people than I had a clue existed. I always had like people in my mentions that like I got rid of, you know, I call them zombies or whatever. You know, I kill off all the people in my mentions, you know, just come at me bullshit. I didn't realize that that would jump up anywhere and and as you as you grow and get more and more followers, it gets worse. So at first, you know, it jumps 50%, 75%, 100%, that means double. 125%, that's 1.25 times the previous amount. 150%. Jumps from 175 to 200%. Next thing you know, you start going to Twitter and looking at your analytics, which is something that I actually started doing after... um. Four years ago, I started working with um, Killer Boombox. I was working with Killer Boombox in a, a startup, in a startup incubator, and they started telling us about how to follow your social media presence and stuff like that. And I started tracking it just because they were talking about how companies and entities look at people's, you know, interactions and and their reach to determine who they're going to pluck or 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 find to you know be an ambassador or whatever the fuck so i four years ago i just started you know checking and stuff and in the last year my spread or like my reach has gone insane and i and i started noticing that I started getting more and more hate. I'm using air quotes because it's not real hate. I don't see you. You're not trying to kill me. But online hate, which isn't, it's a real thing and it isn't a real thing. So you can be affected by people you've never met who might be bots, who are fucking 16, 17 years old, but you can't let it affect you all the way to where it changes your actual health, your mental health. So I deal with it all with a grain of salt. But the fact of the matter is it still happens. Now, it's not so much the emotional aspect of it. It's the aspect for me where when I'm tweeting something, I'm trying to communicate to people. I'm not trying to get a fucking name. I'm not trying to start shit. I'm not trying to be provocative. I'd like to discuss something earnestly. I like to edu- help to educate people on something. I like for someone to tell me something I don't know. Just like when I went to the record stores. I didn't go into record stores thinking I knew every goddamn thing. Have you ever been in a record store before? You can't know everything. You've been in a vinyl shop before? You know everything about every record in that damn vinyl shop in every section? Absolutely not. You're going to learn something. You're going to find something. You're going to look it up. You're going to ask somebody there. Someone's going to have a conversation about something you don't know about. You're going to get wrinkles in your brain. That's what this entire thing is about. And I've resigned myself to that. But that's what I'd like for Twitter to be. Just like with any other space. An opportunity to learn. An opportunity to grow and and, and interact with people that I don't have directly in front of me ideally that's what i like for it to be not just a place where people just get snarky and just attack people and tear people down all right and when it gets to be that and it's just this glut 
or it's just like a place where you just deal with bullshit constantly. That's not what I want. That's not what I signed up for initially. And that can wear on you. It's like, I'm just trying to fucking have a conversation about something and trying to interact with humans, provided you are humans, provided you have hearts and brains, provided you are sane creatures, provided you can actually uh, think and draw conclusions, provided you actually can read well enough to find context clues within something that's written. And not jump to conclusions. Or do the service. Do me a favor and fucking read a timeline. To get full context before jumping into a goddamn conversation you weren't a part of. Don't respond to one fucking thing. So. Again. The, another thing is that like. I can come on this podcast and talk about things that happened on Twitter and have to clear up. Because real-time social media changes everything. And it actively affects your life. But the degree to which it affects your life, it's on you to determine. And I'm not going to be here to tell you what happens in, 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 um, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever isn't real. Because that's some bullshit. There are interactions you have online that are as real as anything. And people make friends, lifelong friends through that shit. Because that's the new way we communicate. And nothing bothers me more is when I'm on Twitter and I see, back in the days we had this, 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 and this. And now we got this, this, and this. And they blame it all on real-time social media. Like those issues didn't exist before real-time social media existed. They've just been exacerbated by real-time social media. That drives me fucking insane. Don't say the world's crazier now because of real-time social media. No, the world's always been crazy. It's just a different kind of crazy. Due to Wi-Fi and real-time social media. It's amplified now, yeah. Just like um, I had a conversation with a, with a dude about basketball old-time basketball and he was talking about how there weren't as many ankle leg and knee injuries back in the days when we wore canvas sneakers but now all these kids are wearing these these uh uh special shoes for basketball all of a sudden everybody's tearing acls and getting knee injuries and mcls and all so i was like what i was like that's that's not true like the fact of the matter is that people were getting MCLs and ACLs and and thigh and t- th- um, tearing their thighs and and all these other insane sports injury and splitting their kneecaps and getting shin splints. But the thing is that there was no fucking sports medicine back then. So if your leg hurt, they wrapped it up and you played the fucking game anyway. If you're if your kneecap split, they taped up your knee, or you taped up your knee because there was no fucking, there was no trainer, and you went out there on the court and you played. There was a, there's a lot of instances of players who played throughout the 50s and 60s not realizing that they played 
on things that they should not have been playing on until the 70s when sports medicine got way better and they got better facilities. What team had an athletic trainer in 1955, 1956, 1957? Players used to tape themselves up and they did it wrong. Do you know what year it was before people realized that they needed to be in ice after an injury or or to to keep an injury from um, getting worse? They didn't know these things. You know how I found out about all this stuff? Talking to old Celtics. So it's the same premise. People always want to have this revisionist version of how things were in the past. Things were always fucked up. It's a different type of fucked up now. And the difference is that now we're in a position to recognize what's fucked up and we can actively change it. By pointing it out. But now everybody wants to fucking get defensive and talk about, wait, it's the PC police and and people are too sensitive. Or maybe people now recognize how fucked up something is and hey, maybe we can change that behavior. It goes both ways. Are people too sensitive now? Are people too quick to jump and cancel somebody? Sometimes. And sometimes a motherfucker needs to be canceled. Problem is, with the way shit is set up, with the way the settings are, you know what I'm saying? You can't really cancel anybody. Wonder why? Because a lot of the motherfuckers that should have been canceled 40, 30, 25 years ago are in power. And due to the fact motherfuckers have this status, they'll never be canceled. They just take a break. Perfect example Louis C.K. He did some foul shit for years. Everybody been talking about him. I've been hearing about him for years. Uh, it's something that we actually talked about on um uh I talked on a podcast with uh Snuck and um and Stiz Grimy last year about uh the Louis C.K. shit. We people knew about that for years. It spread around the um comedian community for years. It spread outside of it. If you were on Twitter and you follow enough comedians and knew enough people in comedy, period, going back, Boston is a fucking comedy hotbed, and he's from here, but he moved to New York a while back. So I guess he kind of considers himself a New Yorker. But we knew about all this shit a while ago. But bam, he's back doing stand up. Ain't shit happened to him. Logan Paul. I saw some shit about him being on his 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 redemption arc. He can't. This he's fucking irredeemable. There are people that did fucked up shit that will never get out the paint. Mel Gibson's still doing movies. He's still getting hired. Roman Polanski ain't a handcuff been put on this motherfucker. Ain't nan nan na, na, na. There are people who are leeches, who are culture vultures, who are abusers, and nothing ever happens. But what this does is this filters down to this cancel culture thing where it's like we want to get you out the paint now. And they clap for it. But the motherfucker's back in three months. Because due to the way our shit is set up. The order of the day. Is abuse and racism. 
and sexism. So, how you gonna get them out the paint when the people in power are the people that we need to be getting out the paint? Hmm? How? How, Sway? But yeah, so... The year that I've gone on Twitter with the blue check has been weird because I'll tweet something and then people will jump on like, oh, what are you, some celebrity or somebody famous or something? And I'm like, no, because if you actually paid attention to Twitter, anybody who's a journalist or a public figure gets a blue check. That's how it works. Do you know how many of my friends have blue checks? No, me, me and my friends are rich, super rich, super famous. I could leave my, I could leave my co-op, walk down the street. People say, hey, Dart, what's up? Hey, are you famous or something? They go check Twitter. They see I have a blue check and they think I'm something more than I am. No. Mm-mm. If I was, I'd live around the corner. Because the rich people live around the corner and down the street in the luxury apartments. They don't have blue checks. I got a blue check. But does my check reflect that I got a blue check? No. So that's where reality sets in. And slaps the fuck out of you. Pop. You ain't shit. Pop. And again, something that really changed my view on life and how I live it. And how I walk through it. And that I this life can end and I have to be more wary of how I like walk and stuff like that not because it will prevent me from getting the bag from a corporate entity because I don't want to leave the world leave the earth and have people say fucked up shit about me when you die and this is something also lending to what happened with John McCain and shit like that when you die and you're a public figure why do people feel the need to say something nice about you when you don't necessarily deserve it if you're an asshole in life then speak on that don't sugarcoat shit because when you sugarcoat shit and you lie and, and, and you fucking tap dance around real, real issues it's, it's like practice no I'm not going to sugarcoat John McCain's life. You know, I'm not going to all of a sudden say that he, like my sister and I had a conversation. She was like, well, he at least he had sense. I was like, no, he didn't. I just ran down all the shit that he didn't do. Like, that's a false narrative. Like, no, he was an asshole. He died an asshole. He did a bunch of terrible shit. That doesn't change the fact that he was a Republican and he did terrible shit in his life. Now that he's dead, he still did terrible shit. That's all there is to it. My mom passed away and people had nothing but nice things to say about my mother because my mother was genuinely a really nice person who did everything she could for the people of the community. That's why they love her so much. That's why I'm known as Barbara's son. And she's passed away for two years she's been gone. And people still come up to me and talk to me about what my mother meant to them. She used to work at a uh, place called uh, Braddock Drug that was open for a long time. All the jazz musicians, everybody used to come in there. 
Um, everybody from the neighborhood pretty much grew up with that as their corner store. They used to get, they used to get fraps from there. They used to uh, get their, uh, just get, go there get ice cream. They used to go in there to just like buy random shit, water guns. They used to go in there to get anything they wanted because it was like the neighborhood corner store. And it really became a cornerstone of the community. You know, people, generations grew up, went to that store, brought their kids to the store, went with their cousins and family, knew my mother as Miss Barbara. So think about the fact that there's a some there's a woman who was a child who knew Miss Barbara in the 60s. Then she grew up, went to college, went uh, whatever, came back, still Smith Barbara. Went off, had kids, got married, whatever. They he introduced her to Miss Barbara at the store in her in her neighborhood. They have kids. The kids come back to the store and meet Miss Barbara. Those kids grow up, go off to college. They come to the store. It's Miss Barbara, the same Miss Barbara that their parents knew from when they were when they were kids. That means something. That shit doesn't exist anymore. The mom and pop stores that existed when I was a kid don't exist anymore. I could go into Brown's Market. They hated it, but um, be it a quarter short. And leave with the groceries because they knew who my mom was and knew I'd come back with the money. Know what I'm saying? I could go to the store across the street, leave a dollar on the counter. They'd call the house and be like, yo, your boy just left this house with a dollar. I mean, it left a dollar on the counter and I have to go back and get it. Knew my mother's number. That shit doesn't exist anymore. And can we blame it on real-time social media? No, because the fucking world changed. But to have grown up with people having those fond memories of my mother and her doing things for them and going out of her way, you know, to do things for kids that aren't hers. I've heard people tell me so many stories, pull me to the side like, hey, 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 yo, your barber son? Yeah, man, I got to tell you something. Um, your mom, you don't know this, but your mom, and then they start telling me stories about shit that happened to them on the street or something happened and, and this and this, and they came into the store and Ma, uh, um, looked out for them and did something or a young girl didn't know how to tie her shoes. My mom taught her how to tie her shoes, taught her to count with, when they came to the store and like bought, bought candy, you know, taught them to multiply shit like that. Shit that they weren't even doing in the school with interactions with kids. And they never forgot that. So if you wonder how come I'm so adamant on like trying to teach if I can or educate or enlighten people like I can, it's because my mom was a teacher. My mom taught when she was at junior college in Slocum, Alabama and Geneva, Alabama, what have you, Geneva County. Um, what have you and it kind of trickled down I would go to my mom with something asking for an answer and she would tell me to look it up but it's not like she told me to look it up and there weren't resources to look it up in in my house we had fucking dictionaries we had encyclopedias we had almanacs 
anything you could imagine. It was like a fucking library in that apartment that we had on Mass Ave. If I wanted to find something out, she made sure that I was able to find it out. I love Thor, the comic book, Walt Simonson. I wanted to understand more about Thor, the comic book. What does my mother make me do? She gives me her copy of Bullfinch's mythology that she had in college, and I read that shit. Then, I get another book and start reading it. And reading it. And reading it. And I read over my brothers and sisters' shoulders. So, like... I went through my mom's records and her 45s because 45s were the records. Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of the things that I was taught from my mom trickled down into what I do every day. So it's like she's still living through the things that she taught me. And I don't want to do any of that a disservice. And I don't want to fuck up her good name by being an asshole. Well, I'll be an asshole to assholes. But not like an asshole asshole. Like, when I'm gone, y'all not going to be hearing any of these secret stories about me doing stuff to people and being dirty. It's not, No. And it's weird because it's not like I actively try to suppress any of those stories. I just didn't do the shit. Yo, let me tell you about some fucked up shit. Good luck with me. Good luck. And this isn't bragging. It bothers me that for some people, this would be bragging. It genu- I, It's just sad that the bar is that fucking low. But yeah, man, um, I originally this season of Dart Against Humanity was going to be another 13 episodes based on the response that I've had from these last uh, three or four episodes and the growth. I want to do something different. This season of Dart Against Humanity is going to be 22 episodes. So 13 episodes is like a first season of a show where it's like just getting picked up and they're trying to figure out how it goes or whatever. Um, 22 episodes is the regular order for a season. So if you get 13 episodes and you get another nine added on, it's called the back nine order where we want to continue it and extend it. What happened was my show started late. I was trying to figure it out as I went. So I did 13 episodes for a season. This next season is going to be a total of 22 episodes. Uh, Another reason why it's going to be like this is because we're going to get into um, we're reaching a stretch end of the um, Boston Red Sox season and we're going to be at the beginning of the Celtics season. Right. But I want to have a break right around December or Halloween or December or what have you. No, Halloween's October. So like November, somewhere around November into December or I want to go into November and then like break in December. So the third season will begin and um more than likely January 2019 because I want to um have this thing spread more and I want to figure out what more I can do for the podcast and how I can make it better. And again, this isn't the podcast final form. 
it might not always be like this. It might not just be me pacing in my fucking living room talking into a phone. It might be something else. Because you can always transfer audio from somewhere else. You can have guests or what have you. Oh, and also, um, one person I really would like to thank immensely is Carly Hustle. Because Carly Hustle's um, podcast, Brutally Honest, even though this podcast, like the third uh, iteration of the podcast I was supposed to do back in 2016, that podcast really made me realize, like, yo, you gotta stop fucking around. I mean, that my mom passing away, but um, largely it was listening to her take things that, how could a human being possibly break down in less than 20 minutes, sometimes 10, and make a cohesive statement about it? And I'm just like, I'm in awe because you, I just ran into a fucking phone for 45 minutes about what I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to have to listen to this later to figure out what the fuck I was even talking about. It, it, it's just, I'm going to upload it anyway. But in my brain, because my brain won't ever stop working, and I overthink everything, this seems like crap. And also, with my mom passing and me having to deal with it, it also made it possible for me to do something like make a leap of faith and do a show where I talk real shit into a phone walking back and forth through my own living room because do I think anybody actually wants to hear this I have no clue do I think someone needs to hear this I have no fucking clue I'll find out later do I need to do it probably probably need to do it this is probably catharsis but I can't tell you one thing episode 20 is not going to be like this so just be glad I got this out the way now